Well, welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining me in my family room. Love doing this whole church from home thing. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at LifeHouse. And we're in part two of the series called Halftime. We're trying to figure out how to look forward to a better second half of the year than maybe the first half was for us. Now, in order to get us going today, I wanted to tell you a high school football story from my life. And I know the thing you wanted to hear most was the high school football story of a 50-year-old. But I'm going to tell it to you anyway. In fact, the whole reason I did this series might be just to tell you a story too about my high school football career. So anyway, when I was a sophomore in high school, we had a big school and I got this unique opportunity to play on the varsity team as a sophomore. And my very first game at home, um, my coach looked at me and said, hey, you're going to go out of the tunnel first and run through the banner that they have, you know, the banner where they write everybody's name on and it's a team logo. And I was so excited. I'm not sure why I had that opportunity to do that. But anyway, I was nervous. And I was excited. It was Friday night. You know, there's this long tunnel of kids and students in the band. We get there and they announce my name over the loudspeaker. The coach hits me on the helmet and says, go, go, go. And I was so amped up and so nervous that I ran as fast as I could, which wasn't very fast, but as fast as I could down that line. And for some reason, in my mind, I thought, I've got to hit that banner as hard as I possibly can to get through it. So I put my head down. I hit that piece of paper. And with no resistance, I went head over heels tumbling like four or five times. Well, of course, I popped up as fast as I could. I was embarrassed, but luckily things just kept moving and the whole team joined me and that was great. Played the first half. We get to halftime. Here's the connection to the series. The coach goes through, you know, how the game had gone, adjustments we need to make, you know, how to retool a few things. And then right before he sent us back on this, to the field, he pauses in silence. He looks at me and he goes, Brown, in the second half, would you please not fall down in front of everybody in the stands for us this time? And of course, the team erupted into laughter and, you know, it was a little embarrassing, but at least it got it out there and I felt so much better. So there's my high school football story. But that really is what halftime is for. It's when you're getting halfway through a game or life or something important and you take a break and you adjust and you assess and you figure out how can we do this better? And right now, we're about halfway through the year. So for the year, it's halftime. And maybe you don't feel like you had a great first half of, the, half of the year, but we want to see if we can't make the second half even better. And as the tagline says, it's not too late to finish strong this year. So every great football team, every great person in life, when they get to halftime, they do just a couple important things. They refuel. They refuel the dreams and the vision that maybe God has given us. They reflect and assess. We look back and go, well, how did it go and how can we do things better? They make adjustments to their lives and then they are inspired to move forward. And that's true. And that's what we want to do. We want to refuel, reflect, adjust, and find inspiration to be the people that God has created us to be. And so last week, if you were here, um, we asked four questions. In fact, we sent you home with four questions. I hope you got the chance to work on that. But if you didn't, or you missed last week's message, you can go back to our online platform, lifehousepeople.com, and watch last week's message and get caught up. But we want to lean into a principle that I think this principle is going to help us over the next six months. So we're going to start out with a quote by a pretty amazing guy. His name is Rick Warren. He wrote an amazing book called The Purpose Driven Life. And this is what Rick said. He said, time, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Time is your most precious gift because you only have a set amount of time or set amount of it. Get that right. 
In other words, time's precious because it's scarce. It goes quickly. It's hard to hang on to time. It moves so very quickly. Another amazing man, Dr. Billy Graham, said this, that my biggest surprise in life is the brevity of it. It just goes so fast. It's like a vapor. It's like a whisper. It's a blink. And, and if you're a parent, maybe you've experienced this. I mean, once upon a time, your son or your daughter, they were just little and you put them in the car seat and you'd buckle them all up and cinch them all down and you'd give them their pacifier, their bottle, a blanket. I mean, they're just little and precious. And then you, then you blinked, right? And in a moment, you opened your eyes and they weren't in the baby seat. They were in the driver's seat. And you were nervous because they were driving you around, but they didn't know what they were doing. And they had their foot on the brake and the gas at the same time. And then you blinked again. And now they were in the seat to take them to the college. And you drove them up and you dropped them off at their freshman dorm. And you could not believe that time had gone so fast because time just moves. It's a vapor. It's a whisper. And that's true if you're joining us today and you're a follower of Jesus. That's true. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, you probably have experienced that very same thing. So in light of that, we're just simply asking this question of how can I make the best use of my time in the second half of the year? If time does move so fast and it's hard to hang on to, how can I use the limited amount of time that we have in the next six months? And maybe this would track into using our time wisely over the next six years the, the next 20 years until the end of our lives. And the reason this is so important is we, the better we spend our time, the better we spend our lives. The better we spend our time, the better we spend our lives. Now, to do this, we're going to have to look over the last couple months. And I need you to know that it may feel like you're a little convicted by how you spent your time. I know I am as I think through this. You may feel like, oh, I wish I could go back and undo that, but, but you can't. And I need you to know this is not about feeling guilty. This is really not about feeling any kind of shame. It's simply how can I assess where I've been so I can figure out a better path of where I'm going. Because over the last six months, you, you may have spent some time in a career or a relationship, or a hobby. And you would say, you know what? It was a great investment of my time. I'm really thankful I did what I did. But more often than not, we would look back on certain things and go, you know what? I didn't do really well you know, in the time I spent in my job, or with my family, or, or with my hobby, or I spent too much time in a hobby. And that was the first half of my year, and I want to finish strong in the second. Now, one of the reasons we know that time is such an important thing is people have been trying to figure out how to maximize their time for a really long time. For instance, you may remember the Franklin planning system. When I first you know, got into ministry, Tina, my wife, and I, we bought these things called a Franklin planner. And there, was, there were these notebooks of calendars and pages to write goals and what you want to achieve each day and each week and each month. It was a complicated but really helpful system. And you would write all this stuff down to figure out how do we maximize our time. And then, you know, progress came along and we got computers that you could actually have calendars set up that you could do it all on your computer. And then Blackberries. For some of you, remember the Blackberry? That, that little device with that crazy little ball that you'd spin around on the screen trying to fill in your calendar and your goals. And of course, then finally the iPhone came along or whatever device you use now. And we have so many ways to track our time and set goals and tasks. You know, in my older age, I thought maybe I'm just going to go back to a pen and paper and, you know, have the joy of writing stuff down again. 
But we do all those things because we know that time is an asset. In fact, you'll run out of time before you run out of money. And that doesn't feel that way maybe when you're young because you think, if I just had more money, I had more money. But you will run out of time before you run out of money. And so we got to figure out how do we leverage our time and learn that it's our greatest gift, it's our greatest asset. Now, one of the places we, we can go is the person that created time. That's our Heavenly Father. And this is a unique perspective. When you think about time, you think about the fact that God created time. And he was around before time began. And it was his gift to us that it was so precious and so meaningful. And so why wouldn't we say, all right, Heavenly Father, we don't understand everything about the world, about the universe, and certainly about time. And so could we lean into your understanding of time so we can maximize it in our lives? And one of the persons, um, person in the New Testament scriptures that writes about time so well is the Apostle Paul. In fact, he writes to this little church in Ephesus about how to use their time well, you know, leveraging God's principle on time. L listen to what he says. He says, be very careful then how you live. And again, if we just stopped right there and said, that's all we're going to learn today, be careful how you live, I think that would be a chunk for us to figure out and to bite off. But he goes on and says, be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, because we all want to have wisdom, especially if you're a parent and want that for your children. Making the most of every opportunity. Now, now just pause there. The word opportunity is a similar word to time. Like there's a limited amount of opportunity. There's a, little, a limited amount of time. And if there's a limited amount of something, then you got to be really careful how you use it, how you think about it, and how you spend it. And then he goes on to say, because the days are evil. Now, you may you know hear that the days are evil. Like, what does that mean? That sounds kind of dark and medieval and you know whatever. And I think he's just saying that the days are evil in the sense of the days won't have purpose on their own. The days won't bring you joy all by themselves. If you let the days of your life just go in the direction they want to go, you'll waste them. They'll just slip away. They'll just go in the direction that everything else goes. And then you'll wake up one day and go, where did all my days go? And you may feel like, yeah, th those days were evil. They were purposeless. They didn't count for something that really mattered eternally. And that's huge if you're a Christian. But if you're not, I think you still want your days to count. And then in another place, in, in this little book called Colossians, he writes almost a similar thing as if he wants everybody that he writes to. And this is the Apostle Paul to understand this concept. He, he says, make the most of every opportunity. There it is again. You only have so much opportunity, so make the most of it. So it brings us to this question that I think if we could answer this well, we would figure out how to spend the second half of our year well. And the question is this, am I making the best use of my time? And for some of you, you might feel really strong, like, yeah, you know what? I, I've done really well. I, in fact, for some of you, I've heard your stories. You've done better in the last six months than you ever have in your life and loving people and being purposeful and following Jesus. And that's awesome. <laughs> but many of us would go, I don't know if that's really true about me because this whole coronavirus hit and we were locked down in our house. And, and for the last six months, you know, I've been spending a whole lot of time on Netflix. And, and listen, Netflix is not bad. There's some series on Netflix I love to watch. I'm not sure I'm in a minute in public what I like to watch on Netflix, but Netflix is good. And, and you know this, sometimes after you've been working really hard, running really fast, you need a day of binge watching something just to shut your mind off. So that, that's fine. But there's also that sense that we can wake up and go, listen, that got more of my attention 
the things that really matter. And maybe I need to make an adjustment in that. Maybe for you, it's just a simple idea of your phone. And phones are great. The technology is great. Again, it helps you track your life and get stuff done. But we can spend so much time on our phones, we forget what matters most. Like, for instance, you've ever been in a restaurant and you look across the, you know, the room and a husband and wife are having dinner together, like they're by themselves, but they're not talking to each other. They're on their phones. It wasn't too long ago, my wife and I were at a restaurant and I looked over and there was an older couple, like significantly older than um, myself and my wife. And they were both on their phones the entire time. I thought it was unique because maybe they just got phones for the first time. I don't know. But our phones can trip us up, not to mention there's some stuff on our phones that can lead us to not the best kind of lives. Like So if you spend all your time on your phone, on social media, and it makes you angry, you know, it makes you disappointed, it makes you sad and depressed, gives you an outlet to share your anger that maybe you shouldn't share your anger, maybe there's a better way for you and I to spend our time. Um, one another place we love to go, some of us is YouTube because there's movies on YouTube, there's shows on YouTube and who doesn't just love a good, you know, YouTube goofy video where somebody crashes their bike into the water and plays a prank on somebody. And that's all good. And that's all fine. In fact, we're broadcasting this message in our service today through YouTube. So it's a fantastic tool like your phone, like Netflix, but with too much intentionality going towards it, it can take away some of the best parts of our lives. So here's maybe the way you could think that anything that gets an inordinate amount of my time that I don't get a great return on, I need to rethink that. It's like when you fly with an airline and you get great sky miles back, you think, you know what, this was a good investment of my money. But if you're not getting a return from it, you might want to look in a better direction. And that can be true of recreation, it can be true of fun, and those are all good things. Your golf game, I love my golf game, but when it gets the best of my time, I might want to rethink it and how to leverage it for what is most important. So back to our question, am I making the best use of my time? It, it hopefully gets down into our heart and sinks into places that makes us think about it. Um, one of the Psalms, which was an Old Testament um, way of expressing themselves to God, says this. King David, I think, wrote this. He said, teach us to number our days that we may give gain a heart of wisdom. It's a fascinating idea, isn't it? God, I need you to teach me to number my days. Because you know, I don't know, but you know, Heavenly Father, I probably only have so many days. So teach me to number them. And if I count my days well, I'll gain wisdom in my life. Now, most of us would agree that that's a sound principle. It's a good principle. But the truth is, most of us don't do it. So I want to take you to a website, and I think we've shared this before, that might help you figure out how to number and count your days. It's a website called countingmydays.com. Now you go to this website, and this feels a little bit morbid, I get this, but I think it's a great tool. And you go to the website, and you put in your date of birth and your year of birth, and I think you have to answer a question or two. And what it gives you is how many days you have left until you turn 80. Now, I have to pause here because the implication is that when you turn 80, you're kind of at the end of your life. Some of you watching today are 80-plus years old, and you're rocking it. In fact, you're doing things people my age go, how do they do that? My mom is one of those people. She's rocking it, although she's not 80 yet, so I might get in trouble for that comment. But if you're 80, if you're 90 years old, and you're rocking it, hey, listen, don't be discouraged by this. Just keep doing you. 
But this website takes you to how many days you have left until you turn 80. And so I decided I'm going to put the number of days or my information in and find out how many number of days I have left. So here's how many days I have left until I turn 80. 12,295 days. That's how many days I have left. Now, that's not a bad number. For some of you, you might be like, well, I wish I had that many days left. But I also have a staff that's way younger than me. So I thought about what their number is. Their number is like 20,000 days until they turn 80 or 25,000 you know, days until they turn 80. That's why I don't like any of them. That's not true. I love them, but I wish I was young like they were. But with that fact, it, it makes me and it reminds me to understand that my days are limited. I have 12,000 days left until I turn 80. What am I going to do with my 12,000 days? How am I going to love people with my 12,000 days? How am I going to inspire people? How am I going to love my kids? How am I going to forgive? How am I going to be part of bringing goodness and justice to this world in a positive way and create change in my world? How, how am I going to make sure my wife knows that I love her? How am I going to make sure that my Heavenly Father knows my heart belongs to Him? And if you think about these days in a different way, this may be how many days you know you have until your kids are out of the house, which for some of you might be a celebration, but it might bring intentionality back to raising your kids because your kids, again, are only in the car seat for a limited amount of time. It may mean when it comes to your job, you only have so many days in your job. So how do you move forward in a really good way? The writer of Ecclesiastes, and there's incredible wisdom in this book in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. This is what he says, and this really feels a little bit morbid. He said, think a lot about death. Now, you may hear that and go, why in the world would I want to think a lot about death? Here's why. All doctors agree. All medical professionals agree that 100 out of 100 people die in this world. And no one gets off the planet alive. And I don't think he means in the sense of being mournful or sad about death. But think about death in terms of, you know what? I only have so much time. It's running out every day. And wise people learn to lean in to the fact that there's a last day coming for me. And I want to spend those days well. Foolish people would say, you know, I'm not going to pay attention. I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to ignore it. And then they wake up one day and their days are gone. And we've all experienced this, I'm guessing, because almost all of us have attended a funeral or two. Maybe you've attended a lot of funerals. Maybe this year you've attended more than you wanted to. But this fascinating thing happens when we go to a funeral. You know, we sit there and if it's somebody we know and we're close to, our heart aches. Maybe it's somebody that's a little more distant and we're there just to show respect. But at a funeral, what happens is the things that were seemingly really important but weren't in a person's life, shrink down to their appropriate size. The things that do not last, the things that do not stand the test of time. But you know how that goes, like how much money you make and how big of a car you live in or you drive or how big of a house you live in. At a funeral, those things get really, really small, don't they? But the things that really matter and that do stand the test of time, they get increasingly larger as people pay their respects. Like what kind of dad was he? How did he love his community? What kind of Jesus follower was he? Was he kind? Was he generous? Those things become very, very important. And I simply think that's what the, the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying. Think about those days that are coming. When the things that aren't so important, but we make them so important, shrink to their appropriate size. 
And the things that are really important that we neglect, they become the focal point of how people remember us well or poorly. Now, with that said, I decided to ask Siri on my phone a question. And I said, Siri, how many days do we have until the end of the year? This is what Siri told me. She said, we have 179 days remaining in this year. So if you do the math and that number is wrong, blame Siri, not me. But isn't that fascinating? Till the end of 2020, and I know some of us are ready to get there, we have 179 days left, which is not a lot of time, but it's important. Because 179 days only comes through our lives in this manner once. But here's the reality of our lives, and and you get this. We are not promised 179 days. We just aren't. And that feels a little bit heavy. The truth is, we're not promised tomorrow, are we? And if we're not promised tomorrow, and all we know for sure is that we have today left, we have to live it with such intentionality. Have we told our sons what we want to tell them? Have we shared with our friends how much they mean to us? Have we forgiven the people that need to be forgiven in our lives in the way Jesus forgave us? And this can cause a little bit of attention if we start going down the path of, hey, I'm not promised tomorrow and tomorrow might, may not be around. You might be tempted to go cash in your retirement fund and buy the car you always wanted and go to Hawaii because you've always wanted to do that. Don't do that. Still plan for the future. You know, it's still important to be wise. But it does mean when it comes to the things that matter most, we can lean in in strength. So the question with all that for me, and I've been thinking about this all week, I've had to live with this actually for a couple weeks, is what will I do? What will you do that will stand the test of time? You still got to go to work tomorrow. You still got to go to school. And you may feel like, well, that doesn't feel very important. So you have to do those things. But in the middle of those things, how can you be the person God's called you to be? Because that's what matters most. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, we have this unique opportunity to pass that along. In fact, I would say this, and in light of all the things that we want to accomplish in this world, even in our relationships, there's nothing we have better in our lives than Jesus. And what if that became one of the prime things that we share, you know, in a gentle, responsible, loving way? We share Jesus with people. And I thought about all you amazing people that decided to join us as a church on mission. In other words, you serve in Wombaland. I just need you to know if you serve in Wombaland at our church, you ask the question, am I spending my time well? The answer is yes. Because you're sitting in a circle with two-year-olds and three-year-olds and four-year-olds, and you're telling them that God made them, and Jesus loves them, and God wants to be their friend, and it's going to change their life forever. In Upstreet, you're helping third, fourth, fifth graders get ready for middle school, and they need you to be a voice in their life. You might be a mom to a little kid that doesn't have a mom, or a dad to a little kid that doesn't have a dad, and you're playing a role that matters so much. You're doing a great job at this. Not to mention, you're working with middle schoolers or high schoolers who are trying to figure out the toughest time in their life. You are investing your time in incredible ways. Now, this is so true because soon we're going to be back in our building, we hope, right? August 16th. And there's an opportunity to be on our guest service team And welcome people when they come to our church for the first time because we have a hunch a whole lot of people are going to show up physically than watching online. And you get an opportunity to say like so many have, and we've heard these stories recently, 
that I checked out this church and I didn't you know, even know what church was about. And somehow God grabbed my heart and he grabbed my heart and these people loved me and they cared about me. And we would love for you to experience that in a way you could use your time well. So here's what I'd encourage you to think about. That if you're part of our church and maybe you just joined online the last month or two and you're not serving, before you log off today, click on serve. Jump in and say, hey, I'll help. I'll be a part. I'll be a part of something that lasts for eternity and stands the test of time. we got 179 days left. What would it look like for you and I to be able to get to serve in a local church? It's changing the world. And then when you go out to your jobs and your communities, wherever that is and the way we do it now, you keep sharing Jesus with people. What what would it look like for little eyes to look up at you and say, you know what, you changed my life. What would it look like for your eyes to look up to your heavenly father and say, you changed my life. I'm engaging with your mission for this world. This is just so helpful. One last thing I want to leave with you before I sign off and we sing an amazing song is this thing that Jesus introduced to the world when he came along. And it has all to do with time. Because when Jesus showed up, there had been a period of time that was about 400 years where God essentially had gone pretty silent. And people kind of wondered, you know, what's God up to? And what what is God doing? And what's he going to do in the world? And Mark comes along and he records this thing that Jesus said and Jesus was a part of. This is what Mark says about Jesus coming to the the world to the earth. He said, the time promised by God has come at last. In other words, God has come to this planet to shrink the gap between mankind and himself and actually close the gap. He goes on, he says, the time promised by God has come at last. He announced the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. In other words, God has joined us in our crazy, messy world. And our world still looks messy. It still looks kind of like a disaster. But now God has decided to be shoulder to shoulder with you and I in the middle of it. And his invitation is repent, repent. And maybe you've heard that word in the church you grew up with. And it was a terrifying word because you were told you were no good and it didn't matter. What Mark, I think, is saying is God loves you so much, he's asking you to repent, which means turn around from your way of living, your way of thinking, your way of viewing the world, and adopt God's way of viewing the world. Confess your sins because they're heavy and there are a lot in our lives. It's a powerful idea that the window of time is closing when it comes to connecting with Jesus. But for now, it's open. In fact, Jesus is coming back. And we're told throughout the scriptures that Jesus is going to come back. And one day he's going to show up on this planet. And when he does, time is going to be finished. And I'm not sure I can understand that or explain that. But we live in this beautiful window of time where we can put our trust in Jesus. And he can be our Savior and we can be forgiven of our sins. And here's what, here's what we know. Here's what you know. There was more time last Sunday to put our trust in Jesus, and there is this Sunday, but there is still time, and there's no greater investment of our lives than to follow Jesus. And his invitation is, put your trust in my hands, because I love you, and I gave my life for you. And if you were to ask simply, hey, what does that look like? It's interesting to go all the way back to the Apostle Paul, with whom we started today. This is what he says to a group of people in Rome. He says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, 
It means the time you have, you get to say, all right, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. You're my buddy. You're my friend. But really what you are is you're my Lord. I mean, like I bow down to you, have reverence for you and believe in your heart. That means believe in you. Like belief really takes hold. Now, that doesn't mean if you're not sure you believe, you have to run away or quit. But the goal for us as fathers of Jesus is to believe deep down in our soul that God raised Jesus from the dead and you will be saved. And the question is, what what will I be saved from? You'll be saved from your sins. All the things you spend doing your time and I spent doing my time that weren't God's best or what God wanted or missed the mark, we get to, we have the opportunity to God to look at us and say, you are forgiven by what Jesus did when he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And there's a practical step in this. Paul tells us this, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. That just simply means made right with God. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. What what does that mean? It means I just get the opportunity to say out loud, I follow Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He has forgiven me. And you don't have to go run out and you know say that on a street corner. You don't necessarily have to throw that out on the internet, although you can. Maybe a refreshing thing to do. But it's just this willingness to say to people, I'm a follower of Jesus, and my life and my actions follow that in step. So what we're going to do in just a minute, I wanted to give you an opportunity to do this on this 4th of July weekend. We're about to sing this really great song. But if you've never had the chance to put your trust and faith in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior from your sins, I I want to give you this opportunity to do this. So we're going to sing this song. And if you've never done that, or if you just feel like, man, now's the time I really need to nail that down or reaffirm my faith in Jesus As we sing that song, I would just love for you to stand where you are. And if you're in your living room, you know, if you're with a group of people, have the courage just to stand up and say, you know what, today I'm putting my faith in Jesus. If you're all by yourself, stand up. At least you can tell God, I'm putting my faith in you. If you're driving down the road in your car, I don't know what to tell you to do. So do your best. Do it with your heart. But I just think there's something about letting people know, taking an action of saying, I am putting my trust in God. Because there'll be a day when there's no more time. And it might be tomorrow. It might be next week. We, did, we don't know. But it is a great day to do that. And someday, you're going to have the opportunity to stand before your Heavenly Father. You're going to have an opportunity to stand before Jesus. And if today would be the day that you decide to stand up and profess your faith, the day that you stand before Jesus, I think he's going to remember In fact, I think he's going to write it down. In fact, I think he's going to put it in a very special book that he keeps a record of the names of the people that have come to him and decided to put their faith in him. And you would have full confidence. You would have full faith that you decided to spend your time on this planet well. Now, all you simply have to do is say a simple prayer like this. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins because I'm a sinful person. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for giving your life for mine. I trust you with my life today and for the forgiveness of my sins. My life is yours. Here it is. In Jesus' name I pray. 
You say that prayer, stand up where you are and put your faith in Jesus and he will take your life in a direction that will be time well spent. It'll be time better spent than anything else. Thanks for being with us today, guys. We love you. Can't wait to sing this song together.